0: We're going to look at uh, a subject, or uh, continuing to look at a subject which is very profound and uh, actually quite tricky to look at in some ways. But I pray with God's help we'll find God speaking to us. It's uh, our title of our series we're we're looking at at the moment is called "Reflections of Splendor," and we're looking at the Trinity and how God reflects something of Himself and His glory in us as Christians. Now. I'd just like to say all visitors are particularly welcome. Uh, We know we've got some special visitors today with the uh, baby Thanksgiving. You're very, very welcome indeed. You've come into the middle of this series, and any visitor has, and this is a holiday time, isn't it? So you could well be just passing through. And so please bear with us. We're going to be focusing in on the Spirit, but we've looked at in some detail Uh, The whole Trinity doctrine of uh, one being, God one being, three persons and the profound, incredible revelation God's given us of that. I think I, I, I gave time to that when we started earlier in October. Since then, Steve has spoken about God the Father and Jonathan about God the Son. And today we're looking at the Holy Spirit. So I hope if you're a visitor, you'll get something from this this morning. I'm trusting you you will. In fact, all of us, when I was praying about this uh, a a few hours ago, actually, just this morning, um, I had this quite vivid picture in my mind of this auditorium like this. Uh, I'll have to give a bit of background explanation. If you're interested in sport, you'll see things like FA Cup finals or when a a team wins the Premier League or a rugby team wins a cup, that, that there's suddenly these... This minute when they've all got the cup and these, uh, it's like fireworks shoot off. Things go poof like that. And they send up a whole lot of um, shiny sort of uh, ticker tape stuff. And they go one, two, like that, and the whole place gets filled with it. Well, I'm in faith because I believe that's what God was provoking in me. That as I speak, there will be, I saw things like that. That was you going poof. <laughs> Not that you're going to blow up, but God's going to suddenly hit you with a bit of truth. And it'll be different truths for different people at different times. Until in the end, the whole room is filled with this shiny uh, ticker tape presence of God. Uh, That's what I'm believing for as we look at this. And I hope that is true for whatever your situation, whoever you are. I've got a little background passage to today. So I'm going to read a few verses from Ephesians 4 uh, to you before we get into this. Verses 1 to 6. Paul writes, As a prisoner for the Lord then... and in all. Hallelujah. We're going to be looking this morning at the Holy Spirit. And today's subject is particularly exciting, I think, and particularly uh, vibrant because it's about the person of the Trinity that we, who we really experience. It's where stuff happens. The experiential dimension for us. We have not met Jesus face to face He's in heaven at the right hand of the Father. But he has sent the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the Father. We're going to see it's God with us. And he is the one who's here this morning. And I pray we'll know that as we sit here and as we listen and as we respond. I'm going to look at this through just three simple statements. They're going to be the Holy Spirit, he really is God. The Holy Spirit, he really is with us. The Holy Spirit, he really does make a difference. So we're going to start off with the Holy Spirit, he really is God. Now I want to say this quite seriously, it's quite easy to think of the Holy Spirit as something less than a person, less than the Father and the Son, more like a force or just an influence. An actual fact, that's probably been made even more intense over, the, over recent decades. You watch Star Wars, and most people have nowadays, the force be with you and all that, and the force in people. And it's very easy to think, well, that's a bit like the Holy Spirit. But it isn't really. Because the force is a a sort of faceless thing. It's an impersonal thing. It's something that people can manipulate and use. It's something you can become strong in. You can become a Jedi master in the force. You don't become a Jedi master with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) He is always the master. You don't manipulate the Holy Spirit. He is not a force. He is a person. He is God with you. Now we just need to nail that because in the Bible sometimes the Holy Spirit is likened to impersonal things, water, wind, dew, oil and, and, and that can be de- de- a little bit deceptive but I would remind you that Jesus is also likened to bread, rock, you can use these metaphors, it is only a metaphor, his work is somewhat more invisible secret mystical you could argue than jesus of Claude. of course he wasn't the one of the person of the trinity who died on the cross came as a man but he is a person the bible is very clear about that the holy spirit is referred to with a male personal pronoun when greek Uh, grammar would probably say that was the wrong thing to do because the word spirit is a neutral uh, word, neutral gender. But actually he's referred to as he, him, himself and no less than Jesus does that. Jesus himself gives him that personal masculine pronoun. It's very careful. It's actually as I say somewhat contrary to the rules of grammar. It's very specific. The Holy Spirit is spoken of as having personal qualities. He has a mind. He has a will of his own. He has emotions. He experiences joy, grief. We can offend him. We can grieve him. We can lie to him. He is a person who we can also uh, please and, and, and communicate, communicate with. He's given personal titles The advocate, the comforter, and actually at least one of those those is, as we've already heard this morning, similar to Jesus. He's another comforter, another advocate. In other words, he's another one like Jesus, but coming in a very, very different form. He performs personal acts. The Holy Spirit works, he searches, he speaks, the list is very long. He testifies, witnesses, teaches, reproves, prays, leads, guides, convicts, calls, and that's not all of it. They're all personal actions that the Holy Spirit does. He is a person. But he's not only a person, he is a divine person. He is God, he's co-equal with the Father and the Son, yet distinct. From the Father and the Son. When Jesus was baptised. The Son was being baptised. The Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove on him. A voice from heaven spoke. The Father. God is not a ventriloquist. He's not like a magician. He got a dove out of his arm. Jesus was in the water. Got a dove out from his loincloth. And projected his voice into the clouds. Sorry I've gone a bit mad here. But there are three persons here. Three persons but one God. And one of those persons is the Holy Spirit. He has titles which are clearly God titles. Holy, Lord. These are titles used in the Old Testament very evidently and distinctly for Jehovah, for God. He has the attributes of God. Eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful. These things are attributed to the Holy Spirit. Moral attributes, truth, love. He is God. He is a person. He is God. The titles in the Bible nail it. He is called the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Living God, the Spirit of the Father, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit which is of God. Have you got it? He's God and he's a person, the third person of the Trinity, co-equal, co-eternal, very God. Now here is the wow factor, the next point. The Holy Spirit, he really is with us. So we are talking about God, not something less than God, not a force, not something that influences some people and not other people, and it depends how, blah blah, 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 blah. No, we're talking about God himself with us. You just need to let that sink in. It is amazing. The Spirit, which is of God. This amazing third person of the Trinity, we can know, we can experience in our lives Directly. Now, what is his role, the Holy Spirit? Well, who knows, in a sense, God is God. I, I'm not remotely going to say I can define it properly. But there is a clear principle that comes through the whole Bible. The role of the Holy Spirit is, and this is not a really good English word, but it helps me, is to actualize what the Father wills and speaks. He makes it happen. He is God in action when it actually does happen. He was doing that in creation. When the Father spoke, you sense the Spirit made it happen. Now, in a mysterious way we don't fully understand, but the, the Spirit was hovering and then the Father spoke. In the writing of Scripture, the Holy Spirit comes to bring the wills and will and words of God into action through the writing of Scripture. And in, in the resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is active. And then in the Christian experience, which I don't want to rush to, because I want to look at that in a little more detail in a moment. He's active. He's the one who brings new birth to happen. We are born of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is God actually doing what God has decreed and willed and promised to do. It really happening. Not just in theory, not just as an idea you have to get hold of and you have to make it happen. No, He makes it happen. The Holy Spirit actualizes, and he is with us to do that. Now, the exciting thing is that we live in a period after Jesus, AD, after Christ, after the Lord. We live in a period after Jesus has come and died and risen and been ascended to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit because by Jesus dying and taking our sin, he changed everything. The Bible calls this a new covenant era. God's dealt with human beings through covenants all through history. They're basically the way you could argue God uh, shapes history. There's covenants with Adam and Noah, and you can find them in the Bible and Abraham, and they all link together, and one, sometimes a bit onion-like in a way, points to the next one. But the climactic covenant is the new covenant, which came with Jesus. And the new covenant age, which you and I have the privilege of living in because it goes from when Jesus went back to heaven until he returns, that age, and he hasn't come back yet, that age is the age when the Holy Spirit has the most freedom. He has Jesus, that is, has prepared a way, has, as it were, blazed the trail, has removed some obstacles, has dealt with some serious problems of human sin so that the Holy Spirit can do things he could never do before. There were people who experienced powerful uh, experiences of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. But in the New Covenant, it is potentially possible for anyone Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, male, female, you know, uh, bond It's all there, right, prophesied, and then uh, brought to to mind by uh, Peter on the day of Pentecost when he talks about Joel's prophecies. The Holy Spirit is now free to move in all who have put their faith in Jesus. Every vessel that's been cleaned by the blood of the Lamb can be filled with the Spirit. That is amazing, isn't it? We are talking about God with us. To a degree that was not possible before. The new birth, becoming a Christian, is described as new birth. Now, saying that we're born again Christians is now a little bit cringy in our culture because it's become a little bit of a funny mixture, the phrase born again. In one way, it's something that is mocked, but in another way, it's a sort of um, metaphor, I suppose, that's used. Very frequently, or oh, they're born. It means people have a fresh start, or they've got into new ideas, and, and it all gets a bit muddled. But actually, it is a Bible phrase. It is a, a Jesus gave us it, and it's a way of describing what happens when you become a Christian. You are born from above by the Holy Spirit, and, and there's a, a a lot of stuff in the New Testament that helps us to understand it. I haven't got time to go into it in great detail. But let me just read to you a couple of verses. They're not on the PowerPoint. A couple of verses from John's Gospel, chapter 1. To all who received him, this is Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And then later in John... Chapter 3, Jesus is explaining truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to spirit. The spirit, sorry, flesh gives birth to flesh. The spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised when I say you must be born again. And then he goes on a little more explanation. If I put those two ideas together, these are very important. To be a Christian is not to go through any particular ceremony or ritual in itself it is not to attend a particular church or building it's not to sign something on a piece of paper and say it's your religion the only sort of christian the bible understands is a born again christian I'm sorry, I'm not being funny and exclusive because people sometimes say, oh, you're the born again Christians as though we were a specific denomination. There isn't, I don't, you know, whatever denomination you go to, if you're a real Christian, you're born again. <laughs> you have to be born of the spirit. And how does that happen? Is that just for exclusive few? No. All who received him, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is what Jesus did children born not of natural descent, etc., born of God. The way you become born again is that you believe Jesus is who he said he is. And, and believing him, you receive him and you say, Jesus, thank you for saving me. I want to follow you. You're my Lord. You're my saviour. Help, uh, help me. Take me forward. Come and change me. And as you do that with genuine faith, you are born from above. The Holy Spirit comes and does something in you. He acts on that. He actualizes it in your life. Now, that's why I like that word. You actually become a Christian. You actually change. This is not merely a mental idea. It's not a, oh, a, a few uh, like a New Year's resolutions, few things I'll try and do. If you do this, you are born of God. And the agent of God who does that, God's person comes in the Holy Spirit and you are born of the spirit isn't that wonderful we need just to get that brothers and sisters I'm talking to Christians here and if you're not a Christian it can happen to you this is your lucky day no it's the wrong way of putting it this is your blessed day you're here to hear it but actually I'm talking to the rest of us as well and saying we need to get what's happened to us sometimes I think we're half dopey we wow bang I am born of God I'm never going to be the same again the Holy Spirit's come in me and done something and changed me, given me a new heart, a new spirit. I say, yes, yes, that's what happens. The Holy Spirit is the one who does more than that. He empowers us for the Christian life. There's lots of little phrases you'll pick up in the New Testament. And this is not necessarily about becoming a Christian, that born of the Spirit. Phrases like this the Holy Spirit coming upon, filling, baptised in the Spirit, which means immersed or soaked. And all these other phrases. And it seems, as best you can understand it, and it's certainly how one's experience is, that we welcome the Holy Spirit into our lives. We ask him to, more Lord, (laughs) we drink deeply. We say, come upon me, fill me Lord. And he empowers us to be what he's made us to be, to be Christians. And to be a Christian is to walk in the Spirit. It's not just to try on your own, it's to walk in the Spirit. It's to be guided by the Spirit. It's to allow the Holy Spirit to produce fruit in you, which is his work in you. This is a very substantial person. The Holy Spirit is a big deal. And he can't turn up and be given space. He's a gentleman. If you want to keep him on the edge of your life, he'll allow you to for a while, though you will suffer as a result, I would argue. But when you welcome him in and say, Lord, I want all that I can get, he will change stuff. He is what he is, God with you, the Spirit of God. And he comes to actualize Christianity, to make us different by his fruit, to actually make us more like Jesus, so that we, in the words of 1 John, walk as Jesus walked. Is that phenomenal? How are you going to walk as you, How can I begin to live like Jesus? I'm still John Groves, but the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to turn you into a more Jesus-like John Groves. So you will act and react like Jesus did. And that's what the Holy Spirit is, because it's the Spirit of Christ. He is God. It's one person, co-eternal, co- but three, one being, sorry, but three persons. And he is one of those persons. So he's not out of sync with the Jesus, with the Son or the Father. He's not like or a bit different. He's a little bit more, hey, the Holy Spirit's a bit more hippie. You know, he's a bit more relaxed. He's a bit chilled. The Father's very grumpy. No, they're all one. Right? He's holy. He brings change. He doesn't like being lied to. He gets grieved about stuff. He gets angry, but he gets joyful. Because he's a person. And he's the same one in character. Not the same exactly. Same in character as the Father and what the Father says. And, and the Jesus. They are, they are one in their attributes. It's amazing, isn't it? Even as I say it, I find it amazing. And I know it's true. The Holy Spirit comes to make a difference. Let's go on to the last point. It is impossible to imagine that if the sort of person I've been describing comes into your life and is born, you are born again of that Spirit and he comes in and begins to change you from the inside, it is impossible to imagine that nothing changes now this is where you also need a light bulb moment but it may not be quite so comfortable that's okay you cannot be a real Christian and nothing changes you cannot have the living God working in your life and it makes no quantitatively qualitative difference now there'll be tender souls here who are much more sensitive and who are very easily self-condemned. And so I know I'm not perfect, perhaps I'm not a Christian. I understand that. But actually one of the changes he makes is to make you very aware of what's not right. And one of the encouraging things when you first become a Christian or even went later down the line is how sensitive you can get to things that are not right in your life. And if you are pretty sensitive to the many mistakes you make and the many things you do that blow it, I'd be quite encouraged. Because I think that's the Holy Spirit saying, I don't quite like this, I want to tidy this up. Because when he comes into your house, he doesn't really come in to make no change. He comes in and says, well, this is a mess. This room's got to be sorted out. We're putting that in the dustbin. That's going on the bonfire. I like that. We'll polish that up a bit. We'll put a little bit of a different angle on that. That's what he does. So if he comes in and says, Phew, there's quite a bit needs sorting out here, that's all right. Let him do it. One of the things people often notice when they first become Christians is, I used to swear like a trooper. I never noticed it. In fact, I was quite proud of it. And now I, become, I let a swear word out the other day. I, I thought, oh my goodness, maybe I'm not even saved. I have had people like that who said, you know, I, I, am I a Christian? I swore at work. I, I, I used to swear every day, every sentence. Now now I hadn't for two weeks, and then I got cross. And I said, that tells me you are saved. The Holy Spirit is working. My worry is if you just carry on swearing as though nothing mattered. I'm okay, I'm going to heaven. Oh, yes, and F and blah. You know, that worried me. Sorry, I didn't say it, did I? Um, what doesn't worry me is that you are sensitive to your failures and weaknesses. That's the Holy Spirit working. He brings assurance that you are a child of God. The, whole, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes into us and he cries out, Abba, Father, in our hearts. You may not be perfect. You may not do everything right. Do you cry out, Father, in your heart? Do you feel you, when you pray, you're praying to your Father? Is there in worship an element of Abba, Father, No, no, not every time. I understand. You're battling. You're learning. But is it there? If there's no relationship, I'm worried because the Holy Spirit brings a relationship. You've got to work at it. You've got to work with him. You've got to follow him, let his fruit. It's going to be a lifelong thing, but it may be gradual, and sometimes it's sudden, and sometimes it's gradual, but the Holy Spirit makes a difference. Amen? He is not... A passive, inactive uh, presence in your life. And he is not a force that depends all on you doing stuff with him. He turns up and he's got his agenda. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's good news, really. Scary slightly, but good news. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. He strengthens us. He leads us. He he guides us. There's a lovely phrase in Galatians 5.25, in more modern translations, we need to keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, he's like a guide. He's not going to carry you, but he is going to guide you. Now, there is a difference. If you're going up up a difficult mountain in some serious place like Nepal, you need a guide. Now, a guide will say, keep in step with me. I know where the dangerous parts are. Keep over. When you go around this little path, it's going to be scary, but it, it's quite strong. If you just keep right in step with me, you'll be fine. The guide doesn't carry you up the mountain. He'd be a stupid guide if he did, and it wouldn't be much of a holiday for you, would it? Well, it would be a lovely holiday, I suppose. But that's not his job. The Holy Spirit doesn't do all the sweating and work for you. He doesn't carry you. He guides you. Amen? There's a world of difference in that. Some Christians think the Holy Spirit's going to carry them. Oh, I just pray and suddenly I'm all holy and I know everything to do. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit's in you and he's now listen to him and obey him. He's guiding you. Keep in step with the Spirit. But he's real and he's there. These are massive things. He's going to help you to have victory over sin. This is my last point, as you know, I said three. In this point, it's where we dig into the practical. So there's a few more scriptures I want to draw your attention to. In the New Testament, this is a very important principle. The change in our lives and our behavior genuinely comes out of our faith in Jesus. Belief affects behavior. And our behavior problems are belief problems. We do not respond out of law and rules. We respond out of what's changed inside which draws us and leads us to live differently and the Holy Spirit actualizes it, enables us to actually say no to sin, teaches us to say no and yes to the right thing and empowers us but we are led into it. Now here's a little example of how the new testament teaches us to live and think if you've been in this church for a while you'll be very familiar with it at one level can you pop it up this uh do not uh do you not know that bit i think it's all wrong at the bottom this is one corinthians not 15 oh there's a chapter in here missing sorry it's one corinthians 6 never mind i'm a bit of a pedant on this my peers let me down there dock your wages right The rest of you say, you ought to do it yourself, you lazy old thing. Right. (laughs) Does a very good job under trying circumstances. I'm the trying circumstance. Right. So here are a little taste of what it says in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not... This is to Christians, right? And bear in mind, Christians who are not behaving very well. Christians, sadly, are not always perfect. In fact, they very rarely are. They're never perfect. And actually, these ones are in a serious mess. Some of them are dabbling in quite serious sexual sin, and there's division, and there's all sorts of stuff kicking off at Corinth. And as part of Paul's teaching, here's one bit. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Never but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Amen? Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you and whom you've received from God? Wow, that is amazing. Come on, that is great popping moments, I hope, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. This is rooted in what Jesus did. It's not because you're like something special. It's what he's done. His blood availed for you, bought you. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, this is magnificent and it is very important. Your bodies are members of Christ himself. Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you and who you've received from God. It could not be clearer. You have God living in you. Wow. Spirit. I mean, that should change you. Now, that will challenge you about how you behave. That should challenge you about sexual immorality, pornography, uh, 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 and overindulgence, or, you know, obesity. There's all sorts of things that should challenge you. Alcoholism. You know, you're going to treat this temple of the Holy Spirit the way you do. Are you going to change? You've got there, God there to help you. That's the challenge. But there's also an amazing comfort here. This should make you walk tall. You say, oh, yeah, but, but I actually do do some of the things you said, John. Yeah, get forgiven. Don't go crawling on the ground. Come and stand tall in who you are. Do you not know who you are? Your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Believe it. And I, I think we need to live in this when we deal with things that we are fearful about. Let's talk boldly. If you're, at, I, I, I'm not encouraging you to do foolish, reckless things. But if you're in a place where you're scared, or it's dark, you're on your own, remember God is with you. This is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I have heard, anecdotally, of uh, a Christian woman in a dark alley or something and a man approached her looked very suspicious looked as though he was going to assault her perhaps sexually or some other way and she just stood her ground and said this body is the temple of the Holy Spirit don't you dare touch it in Jesus name leave me alone and the guy looked a bit freaked and ran off fair enough (laughs) if you actually believe it your temple is the body of the Holy Spirit you see I think some Christians get very jumpy what's going on in this building we better clean it up I'm not saying that's not occasionally useful but when I turn up in the building God turns up so the Holy Spirit is here with me and He is greater in me than anything that's in the world. So when we come into this room and when we start praising, God's here. It's gotta be a pretty tough demon that can stand that. And so we we actually come with this as a faith thing. We know it. We live it. Wherever I am, what I'm doing, this body, this temple, this body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I've received it from God. God's with me. It's bought with a price. It's paid for. Jesus. This is not on the grounds of my performance, but Jesus' performance. It's bought with the blood of Jesus, this right. It's not, while well, I've been a good boy. I had a good quiet time, so I'm confident about it. No, no, I'm confident in who I am in Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. This is major stuff about how we behave on our own. I'm going to have to run out of time. Let's be quick. How we behave to one another is very important. This is about Christians together. And this is what we read, so this should have been longer than it is, but this is what we read in the Ephesians passage. You see, if I'm a member of the body of Christ, I have the Holy Spirit in me, and you have the Holy Spirit in you, then we are one. And you cannot contradict that. The Holy Spirit brings unity in diversity. Now this is just as difficult to get as everything else I've said. These are things you believe rather than you simply intellectually try and grasp and work out uh, through, um, I don't know, committees or meetings or something. You have to hear the word of God and believe it. Because this is what I'm going to say, because this is what the Bible says. There is one Holy Spirit. He is not divided. So every believer that has the Holy Spirit in him is one, is united. You say, oh, oh, what about denominations? Yeah. What about them? Everyone who has the Spirit of God in him is one with every other person who has the Spirit of God in them. Because you're one body. There's only one Spirit. There's not dozens of different spirits. It's the same spirits doing stuff in the Baptist vineyard, Church of England, Catholics, here, elsewhere. Wherever the Spirit of God. Now, we have got a problem. We've got 2,000 years of history. And we've got a muddle." Because not everybody is born of the Spirit. That's the problem. But if you are born of the Spirit, you are one with everybody else who is born of the Spirit. Whatever they call themselves, you're the one family. And, and, and that's good to remember, but it's also good to work out on the ground in your own context as well. So we are one with the people sitting next to us who are in the Spirit, aren't we? So yes, it's good to pry and ply it on the wider front. I'm not suggesting we shouldn't. But we're also one here. So when Paul writes this, so we quickly flick them up. Uh, Ephesians 4, verses 4 and 6. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Now that is a statement about the church of Jesus Christ, which is those who follow Jesus and have received him. That is, high hey, truth. <laughs> you go, yeah, but yeah, that is the truth. Now, the next one that goes up, thank you, is going earlier, verses 2 and 3. This is what he says. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So Paul is writing practically, in this case, probably to only one or two congregations. Not necessarily one congregation. They probably were scattered throughout a big city, Ephesus, and an area around. And so he's writing to more than one little house church, as they probably were then. And he's saying, you are one through the Spirit. Now, you make every effort to keep that unity. It's not you create the unity. We do not create unity with committees, ideas, and projects. There is only one sort of Christian unity. It is the unity of the Spirit, which applies to all true Christians, but only applies to those who are filled with the Spirit. I haven't got a unity with someone, not in this profound sense, with someone who has not got the Holy Spirit, because he's not born of the Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean I can't be nice and friendly to them, but I haven't got that unity. So it is tricky how you work it out, but you start by the right attitude. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, and keep that unity, the bond of peace. Our attitude to other believers must be exemplary, that we love them. That we bear with our weaknesses and differences. That we're patient, humble and gentle. Because that's how the, the persons of the Trinity behave to one another. They are mutually loving, mutually serving, mutually honoring. So that's where we start. We say, oh, well, John, what about the this then, or that, and the that and the World Council of Churches? You go on all day. I've, I've been living with it for 40 years. Tell me about it. But actually the reality is we start by understanding who we are in Christ, and we start with this sort of attitude to the brothers and sisters around us in our congregation. That would be good. And then we we understand that we have that attitude towards all others who are following Jesus. Amen? Amen? Now, that will have different ways it works out. We've only got one life. We've only got one day, 24 hours in it. We can't do everything. But we will look for God to show us how we can display sometimes that unity. It needs to be displayed, I understand that. But this attitude can be fundamentally quite challenging and encouraging to the world around us. They want to see Christians who love each other and honour each other and don't rubbish each other and pull each other down. Amen? Let's make sure that we are living in the truth that we are one with all who follow Christ and that if we have the Holy Spirit in us, we will show the Christ-like fruit of the Spirit in our attitudes to fellow believers. Amen? Amen. I'm not even going to do my very last point. Thank you. I know there's another uh, PowerPoint there. Because, oh, I'll just tell you what it is. You're going, what was that? (laughs) Can't resist it. I'm not going to put the PowerPoint up. But it was this point that the Holy Spirit, and it is an important point, so I should tell you, (laughs) the Holy Spirit influences how we behave to those who are not followers of Christ, what we call the world or the people around us. We are the agent of God to bring the love of God to the world around us. We are the means by which they will know what God is like. Because the Holy Spirit in us should make that evident. So Barnabas was able to go to a church and see the grace of God. Now what he saw was generosity. He saw different races worshipping together. Jew, Gentile and and African actually as it happens. He saw different races worshipping together. He saw a a, a coherence and a a unity. And as i say an amazing generosity and acceptance of one another. That demonstrates something to the world around. Also the Holy Spirit will help us to use the gifts he gives us to go and pray for the sick and see them healed. That's one of the works of the Holy Spirit. Works of the Spirit that go with the gospel. That's one of the ways people meet God when we turn up and pray for them or when they come amongst us and meet God. As it says in 1 Corinthians 14, when prophetic words are given and the heart is open and people say, oh, surely God is amongst you. Do you know that bit? That's what the Holy Spirit gifts do. They make people aware that there is a God. He's real and he's imminent and he's involved and he's active today. And the exciting thing is you can know him, you can be filled with him, you can see him working in your life. And the Holy Spirit empowers the church To do that, to be the arms of Christ to the world, to bring the words of Christ to the world, to be the body of Christ, the anointed body of Christ, anointed with the Spirit. So actually, we have a massive and wonderful privilege and challenge that we are the only way they're going to meet Jesus. But thank God we've got the Holy Spirit in us to help us do it. Amen? I think we need as much of the Holy Spirit as we can get, don't we? So as we finish... Let's have the band up. Let's think about that a bit. <laughs> because the Bible says, God says, it's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit that I work in the world. So we are not going to achieve all the things we want to by our might, our power, our wisdom. It's got to be by the spirit. That what God calls my spirit is God. God let's stand together we need more of him don't we we're going to as we end we're going to say I'm conscious that one or two maybe more than one or two here probably say well I I don't even believe this stuff well will you just be open bless you and let God speak to you it may not be that you become a Christian this morning I quite understand but I want you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you because I believe he's here and he may just click something in your brain that you never thought of before He's gentle, but he's real. So be open for the rest who are those who follow Jesus. If we are going to demonstrate something to this sin sick world of what God is like and who He is, we're going to bring the power encounters that God wants us to bring. We're only going to do it through the Holy Spirit. If we're going to be changed from one degree of glory to another. It'll be through the Spirit who is the Lord. If we're going to see fruit and love and patience and joy and be able to handle the diversity of the church and the confusion of history and yet show a grace and an acceptance, that's going to happen through the Holy Spirit, isn't it? He's going to do it in us. He needs our cooperation. He needs our welcome. I want you to welcome the Holy Spirit into you today. He said, well, I, I think I've already got it. Yeah, he wants, it's go on being filled, remember? He wants you to welcome him again. He wants to know you're pleased he's in, in your life. So that is our, the shape for these last few few minutes together. I want you to be ready to say, Holy Spirit, I want more of you. Come and fill me afresh. I'd ask you to start praying that now, right where you are. There shouldn't be a Christian in this room who doesn't want that. <laughs> and you ought to be praying it. And if you're not yet following Jesus, say, God, show me you're real. And ask him to do that. But for, for, for most of us, we could say, please, Lord, I want more of you. Please make that an articulate prayer. Come on, I ought to hear a little murmur of prayer. We're going to do it that way because we've got to end. We've had lots of visitors here they don't want to prolong it but Lord I want more of you fill me afresh Holy Spirit I want more of you more Lord more of your power in my life more of your love in my life more of you Lord it's not just a a, a nebulous emotion or a force remember it's him he brings the power he brings the love because it's his character so it's more of you you can ask him you can address it to God say father send your spirit Jesus you've paid the price i bought with that price my body can now be a temple of the Holy Spirit it's amazing thank you Lord let's sing a song